This episode of the only podcast about movies was recorded a lot differently. I was off-site, Shahir wasn't there, and I recorded in a room full of seven people and five dogs. Why would we do this to you, dear listener? Well, I wanted to purvey the kind of experience you'd get from seeing the film we reviewed. Enjoy the show. Internet, I have never felt power like this besnore. This is the only podcast about movies. My name is Matthew Kroll, and the melodious voice you are not hearing is Shahir Dowd, who is gone because I'm not in the studio this week. I have gone back to my home college town of Fitchburg, Massachusetts to visit a bunch of my friends, and I have them here right now, my own little merry band of mutants put here together to review X-Men Apocalypse, and I just want to go around the room and introduce everyone, because right now we have seven people in this uh, makeshift studio we've built in a kitchen, and five dogs, so also, if you hear anything weird, there's that going on. But first, a man that needs no introduction is going to introduce himself... Hey, this is uh, Matt the Marauder Marchetti. Oh, you gave yourself a nickname. I'm going by the Marauder now. Okay. Who's next down the table? This is Robin Foster. This is Kelly Crockett. Stephanie Marchetti. Dawson. <laughs> <laughs> this is Amy. And I've known a lot of these people. Obviously, listeners know... Um, Robin is my wonderful girlfriend, but I've known the rest of these people uh, for the better part of 10 years. Is that right, people on mic? Yeah, uh, and uh, we have watched many a film together, so if, uh, if, if Shahir can't be here, I would trust no one more than the six of you. <laughs> <laughs> but before we jump into the uh, wonderment that this film was, uh, and we all have a lot to say, a little housekeeping up top to keep my uh, wonderful New Zealand friend who isn't here happy. Uh, if you have an email for us, you can email us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Tell us if you agree, disagree, etc., whatnot. Also, you can find us on Facebook or at Twitter at OnlyMoviePod. And uh, yeah, you can find us any of those places. Please leave a review on iTunes. Steph is eating the mic. That's totally fine. No, it's natural, Steph. Ah. Most of us were film students, uh, not all of them, and it's really interesting to see the people uh, still... Uh, Steph, actually, you told me before, you're like, we, I went to film school, I know how this goes. I'm also a film professor. Yeah, so they, there you go. So I think uh, I think this is... <laughs> yep, eat the mic. Okay. No one can see this. Uh, one thing I want to talk about real quick, guys, um, someone who... Spe- I, I know all of you very well. Someone who I do not know is a young man who wrote us in named Jacob who wanted to talk about uh, the last movie we reviewed... Uh, which was the Nice Guys. Have any of you seen Nice Guys? Robin, you saw Nice Guys. Um, So he wrote in this. He says, generally, I'm more like Shahir than Matt. Okay, not starting to, not an incredibly strong start. Uh, But I love indie films, art films, foreign films, and low-budget stuff, etc., etc., and he's a bit of a snob. I don't like Marvel comic movies, and I've never seen any of the Star Wars or Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Uh, but uh, he he doesn't really like big budget movies. But with that being said, he's totally um, he says, I'm totally on Matt's side for nice guys. And I'll take it even a step further. I fucking loved this movie. Uh, I put some things into a broader scope. He says, I've seen Shia 50 films released in 2006. All of them out of all of them. uh, The nice guys coming in second favorite right behind Green Room. Did you see Green Room, Marchetti? 
You, yeah. No? Uh, so before even listening to the episode, he says uh, he referred to this film as the Big Lebowski for this generation, and he stands by it. Shahir and I got into a big argument about whether or not uh, it would be worth either just rewatching The Big Lebowski or spending money to go see Nice Guys. I said Nice Guys, he said rewatching Big Lebowski. So if it came down to seeing The Big Lebowski, he says, for the umpteenth time on TV or going to a theater and seeing Nice Guys, he says, go fucking see Nice Guys. He can't wait to see it a second time. Uh, so that was Jacob sort of uh, weirdly agreeing with me, which doesn't normally happen. That's uh, great. Uh, no, I th- so thank you, Jacob. And uh, I'm kind of happy that Shear's not here to retort to say, yeah, but there's another... I can't even do his accent. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Jacob, thank you so much. And everyone else, email us in. Tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm being an asshole. I feel like Shahir gets a little ganged up because he hates fun so much. That's true. Anywho, the X-Men. Marchetti, tell me, tell me a little bit about the X-Men. Tell me about your history with the X-Men and tell me what your favorite X-Men movie was. Oh, okay. Uh, well, a big comic book fan... For many years, and X Men were always up there for me. Uh, just a yeah, always enjoyed. I liked the offshoots. They had X Force, and you know everything. It was just a lot of fun to follow the kind of multiple universes and continuities. And I just thought that that was kind of a fun thing to do, similar to the Avengers. But right, um, I liked always liked the idea of the mutants, the issues, the mutants, and the kind of um, like real world issues they parallel sometimes. Sure, especially in the comic books, the X Men tend to be more gravitate towards more mirroring like either real prejudice or you know gender bias, etc. Right, and uh, they they they've been sort of a a figurehead for speaking about those issues in sci fi for the better part of what forty years? Yeah, probably yeah, something like that. Up there. Um, I'm sure somebody will tell us we're wrong. Someone will tell, and, and that's the glory about the internet, guys. Is if we say anything wrong, they will <laughs> let us know. Um, so when we went to go see this movie all together as a family this Yay. afternoon, um, it became abundantly clear, at least to me, that I don't know if the X Men's welcome and sort of place in pop culture to be the how do I put it the the odd man out of the little guy's voice is really kind of still there uh this movie uh in my opinion just really quick off the top uh it fell sort of flat I don't know if you could tell from my uh initial uh little speech of modifying the quote at the beginning to say boring uh or snore or whatever the hell I said but uh yeah it's just sort of more of the same that we've kind of always seen now Dawson uh, what did you think about this overall? Uh, I'm pretty easy to please in general. Like I like most things, but yes, he is. <laughs> um, I enjoyed it. It was all right. You know, critically there are things I wasn't a fan of, but at the end it wasn't, it wasn't one of those like, man, I just wasted two hours of my life. Two and a half hours of your life. Oh, in that case, then screw it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it was, yeah, I would watch it on TV. I wouldn't okay. buy it. Okay. Well, okay. J- Dawson's skipping to the end for the final thought segment, but that's good. <laughs> it's okay. Everyone's green here. Uh, not actually green. I know there's a lot of skin tones in this film. Uh, Kelly. Kelly, get to the mic, Kelly. I'm here. Okay, good. Kelly, I've known forever. Uh, Kelly, we've seen a couple X-Men films, I feel like, together in the past, somewhere down the line. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, what is your favorite of all of the films out there? Uh, the X-Men films, not all of the films. <laughs> Um, honestly, I would say X-Men First Class. Okay. Right off the top of my head. I can't remember some of the older films as much. Sure. And where would you rank this one in a a chronological... (laughs) Probably near the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Does anyone else have any general stuff they want to say about the, the movie in general, like about 
how this film made you feel in the franchise or to the point of just anything non-spoilery. What do you got, Marchetti? You're nodding your head. So your, your question to Kelly about placing them in order, I think I would probably, and this will answer the question as I go. As I go. Right. It'll be, it would be first class, then X2. Sure. Then probably the first X-Men, then maybe Days of Futures Past, then this. Then Last Stand. I'm not counting a Wolverine movies. I'm just doing the, okay. the six. Okay. And I think the issues I have with the with the Last Stand and Apocalypse are kind of reversed. I thought the Last Stand was too rushed. Sure. And I thought Apocalypse was too drawn out. Just too too much. Too too much. Yeah. And I did not care for that. No. Um, it's a it's an interesting quarry we've sort of gotten ourselves into with superhero movies in general, which I'm sure we'll just sort of touch on it as we go. But after this point, ladies and gentlemen, it's hard to sort of talk about this movie without getting into spoilers because there's here's here's the problem that I find, and if anyone disagrees, please speak up. But because this thing feels so generic, you can't like. Look, Batman versus Superman. You can go out and you could be with the majority and be like, this was a hot piece of garbage with like tiny flecks of goodness in it that you, but not enough to gravitate towards, but it's enough to have an emotional, visceral response toward it. Whereas Civil War, uh, you know, critically, so to speak, was more liked and people respected, it seemed, a lot more what Marvel was doing. But this uh, little baby from Fox and Brian Singer, uh, oh, Jesus, uh, it's getting long in the tooth and it's just, it's not even like powerful enough to feel a lot of like emotion for like, at first I was like, oh man, like if I hate this, I'll rip it apart, but I didn't hate it. I just didn't have any feeling for it whatsoever. I mean, I just feel like, um, for all superhero movies, like they got the formula down and I just felt like a movie, this was a movie made because of the formula. They just decided to throw it in there like, oh, we know how to make the movie then let's just make it. But did it give you any emotional, did it give me any emotion or any takeaway from it? Not really. No. And why do you think, why does everyone at the table think that is? What are the prop, like, what do you think, because we've seen this done before and we've seen it done kind of better. What, what do you think, like, what caused this? Is it the sound of the times? Is it part of the production? Is it the uh, directors, actors, scripts? What do you, what do you really feel like could be the. This is Stephanie. I would say the... Oh, yes. Hello, Stephanie. Is, it's me. Listen up. <laughs> I think the main problem with it is that there are so many out there right now, and it is so hard to do anything original, that when talking about this one, it's hard to have a reaction either way, because it, it's, you know, the most recent one in a zillion movies, and there's nothing special, especially great about it, and nothing specially poor about it. It just, it, it, it just falls flat, and it's because there's so much more to compare it to that's better. Right. And I think, like, why take a risk? You know this formula works. All of us went to see it. Lots of other people are going to go to see it. Why take a risk? And then it's either panned or, you know, not successful. So it's just a formula that works. The public loves it. That's why they keep making them. It's almost interesting, though, too, Amy. Like, it's you're right. It's a formula that works. That And by works, you mean we'll make their money we'll back. We'll make money. That's so, all I mean by works. Right. And, and it's interesting because... This is a proven formula that works. Deadpool, for instance, was a formula that did not work or they didn't think would work, but crowds sort of, you know, the internet got it hyped up and then it was the most successful R-rated movie of all time or whatever. So now what I'm worried about in that particular space, and I've said it before, is that they're going to think, oh, the lesson is, oh, they just want R-rated superhero movies. Like, let's just go make a ton of those. It's like, no, there's a whole story behind this. It's Ryan Reynolds' passion. It's actually, you know, whatever. This is just another way that they know they'll get butts in seats. And... 
kind of to Shahir's point, I don't know how much longer if this sort of stuff keeps happening, it will happen. Like, at what point do people just get sick of it? Or will they ever, like, this would be the way to get sick of it. This was the first movie, superhero movie that I watched with you where I felt, okay, enough. I've had enough. You were you were just like going, come on, like at the hour mark. And that's very <laughs> unlike you. I was, um, I mean, we saw this at 1245 in the afternoon and usually it takes about after 9 p.m. for me to fall asleep in a movie. This one, I started nodding off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that sort of gives the, <laughs> the whole thing right there. Uh, and I, I personally... I blame uh, one uh, very few vowels in the man's name, Brian Singer. Uh, he just, ah, God, he did great at X-Men and X2, and nothing since then has really wowed me. Days of Futures Past was good. Like, I liked it, but I, but then, then I wonder, like, is that me liking that film or the fact that I like Hugh Jackman as Wolverine? And that whole movie was so Wolverine-centric, it might as well have been called Wolverine 3. Like... It doesn't particularly matter. I mean, if you looked at maybe like Captain America's screen time in the new one versus Wolverine's screen time in Days of Futures Past, the title would, I mean, you could have that be called Wolverine the same way that was called Captain America. Um, he just doesn't, for a guy that pioneered this genre, Brian Singer doesn't seem to get it anymore. And I, I don't want to place the blame solely on him because I feel like a lot of characters or actors in this film just sort of did their contractual obligation. And the screenplay didn't help anybody dialogue-wise. So it's not like they're given a ton of shit to work with. Um, but do you think that, is Brian Singer under a contractual obligation? No, he just, this is his bread and butter. This is the thing that he sort of got big and known for. And so he's just been sort of, it's like getting trapped in, be careful at what you get good at, ladies and gentlemen, because you will be trapped doing it as your job for the majority of your life. Because your greatest argument for Dark Knight Rises is that Christopher Nolan was just saying, okay, let's just get this over with. He was just obligated to do he it. He was contractually obligated. I don't think Brian Singer isn't, if, if he is in a contract, he probably put it in so he had to direct these movies. I don't think Brian Singer's like, listen, I really got to go and do, like, what's another Brian Singer movie, Marchetti? I'm trying to. What was that? Usual Suspects. Right, which was great. What was it? Valkyrie. Valkyrie, yeah. and Valkyrie was good too, from Apt what I hear. Pupil, Apt Pupil was the other one he did with Ian McKellen. Right. That's what I think he linked. Either it was before or after the first X Men. And what did after. what did you what did and you you liked his direction there? I did, yeah. And in the case of like the Usual Suspects, for example, he's got a screenplay by Christopher McQuarrie, who's gone on to do Mission Impossible Five and Jack Reacher. He's doing the next Mission Impossible, I mm -hmm. believe. So he's a strong writer. He's got that kind of. Tarantino, post-Tarantino-esque style. It's really right. like meta and knowing and it works. The dialogue's great in The Usual Suspects. I don't think the movie is great because of Brian Singer. I think he got a lot of the acclaim. I think the movie was great because of Christopher McQuarrie and, and yeah. the performances that came out of the screenplay. And the screenplay in X-Men Apocalypse was not strong at all. And that makes total sense to me. And we were saying this before too. It's not the the plot is bad. It's, it's a generic plot, but it's not like Batman v Superman where the plot just made no sense to a point and characters do things because we need to move it forward. Like this had Apocalypse had an agenda. They set it up fine. He went forth and did it. And then the X-Men had to stop him. And there's interpersonal relationships happening along the way that are basically undermined by its own dialogue where moments could have had a lot of power and they just didn't because they tried to either hand wipe uh, like a fucking moment of emotion away or just skip over something entirely. It's hard to talk in generalization. So let's just, it's, we're going to start going down the plot of the movie. Um, let's do let's it. Let's see, who hasn't talked the most? I want to, who wants to start? How did this movie start, Dawson? 
How did it start? How did it the start? Mummy, no, the get mummy the returns. mic. Pick, the move mummy the mic to no. you. We only have four mics, ladies no, and gentlemen. All right. Um, yeah, it was the Mummy Returns, which Amy pointed out, and then there was a define Mr. that. Like define oh, what do you mean? Yeah, uh, it was a white English lady discovers ancient Egyptian. No, uh, let's no. go down the line, <laughs> Steph. How did it? How did the movie start? In the words of my husband, it was mousetrap. Um, how how was it mousetrap? So, it was so, ancient Egyptian mousetrap, is what Marquette said. Mousetrap. Oh. Apparently, something about the sun activates. Some powers in some way, and um, yeah, but what's then happening? some people knocked some blocks down okay, and trapped them. You're not wrong. Let's see if Mark. The <laughs> setting was ancient Egypt. Thank you. It was 3600 BC. Oh, yes. see, someone read the, some, the, the title on the screen. The I Nile didn't. River somewhere involved, and they didn't even Cairo. Use, they didn't even use papyrus. Font, yeah. Oh, no papyrus font. No papyrus font used at all, which is good on Singer. It's not a hair salon from the late 90s. And uh, the beginning of the movie, we can talk about this now in terms of specifics. Spoilers are on the table. Spoilers are on the table. Uh, the beginning of the movie is um, uh, old, old man, grumpy grumpy old man apocalypse uh, transferring his <laughs> self, his being to a young, sexy Oscar his Isaac. consciousness. Yeah, and uh, he's doing it because the Oscar Isaac character before becoming apocalypse basically is... Um, what he's impervious he's 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 healing he factor. Heals, so. so he wants to become a stronger person so he can't age and blah 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 all yeah. that fun stuff and uh, all everything goes to shit this is where Mousetrap comes in. Yeah, well, it's powered by the sun, whatever this machine is, because the sunlight hits the gold thing on the top of the pyramid, and then all of a sudden, uh, light can go through patterns on the actual uh, stone, and then Apocalypse's consciousness is transferred to the genius in every other film, Oscar Isaac, who is completely wasted behind this fucking, what's the Power Rangers villain he looks like? Oh, Ivan Ooze. Ivan Ooze. He's got this Ivan Ooze-esque makeup on. And I will say this, because I've hated on the look just like the rest of the internet has since we saw it in a piece, in a still, like, on, on the internet. But seeing it move in the movie in certain lighting, I can see where they thought initially this was a good idea. But in other scenes, it just sort of falls flat. You can see the prosthetic on Oscar Isaac's forehead. To be fair, it didn't fall flat. It was extremely contoured. Like, Kylie Jenner was, came in and did his makeup for this movie. It was intricate. No, it was very intricate. I mean, I'm Who's sure it took Kylie hours. Kylie Jenner? Oh, did you mess that up? No. No, she's real. Oh, okay. <laughs> And unfortunately, I know who she is. Ah, well, <laughs> at Guy Code, we'd make you pay a dollar. Um, no, so so the costume itself, it could have gone to a couple other people. There's actually been some stories on the internet. I was talking about this last night that like the original designer for a lot of other superhero movies did a mock-up of an apocalypse costume that, granted, I don't know how it moved or how it looked you know, when things were actioning around it, but uh, it looked so much better. And then they went with Ivan Ooze instead, which, sure, I mean, I can't argue with, with sort of taste and if that's what the art designer or you know decided then great like whatever but it didn't it didn't quite work for me and it and to put Oscar Isaac in that role behind that heavy just everything like you literally just saw the 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 circle of his face right and he the prosthetics didn't really allow him to emote other than roll his eyes in the back of his head which happened about 12 times that's how you know the power's coming um so they get buried, right? Because Mousetrap, what you had mentioned, uh, they, they, <laughs> they knock these blocks away and they slide down into the pyramid, knocking all these pillars across and the pillar collapses on itself. And the original four horsemen that uh, Apocalypse had had save him 
it from being crushed to death, and he's buried forever. Who are very badass, by the way. They, they get to kill a few guards in the beginning. Yep. I thought that was one of the better, like, the powers they had. They didn't yep. really specify what they were. But it was I, telekinesis. There was some sort of energy manipulation. One guy just slammed two guards against the wall, Fire. and they just became skeletons. Yep. And it was like, that's yep. amazing, yeah. Skulletogs. Skullman from Mega Man. Yeah, no, I like it. They're Mega Man 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got it. I got your reference. Um, so that happens, and then we're back, I believe, to modern times after he's buried, and we don't know what's going to happen to him, except you pretty much do because you've seen the commercial. Uh, we are now going to go magically being whisked away to the house on Magneto Lane. Uh, basically, what Eric Lencher has been uh, has been doing <laughs> is basically setting up franchises. He obviously is Quicksilver's father, but he doesn't know that, and now he's moved on to... Where was he? Does anyone remember? Poland. 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 Well, everyone kind of went to the mic there. Yeah, but just yell it out the second you know. Poland! It was Poland! Um, he's, he's Polish. Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> Th- thank you. Yeah. I mean, he is Polish. He is Polish. Um, and he basically has a wife and a little girl daughter, and uh, he seems happy. He works at a, some sort of factory that manufactures sparks. Uh, <laughs> works with metal, ironically. Yeah. Yes, of course. I mean, he can do whatever. Uh, and then... Uh, so that's you just sort of see what he's up to, and it's nice because I will say um, Michael Fassbender is one of the only one or maybe two or three, depending on your perspective, people in this film that feel like they actually give a fuck. And in the first third of this movie, he he's doing it. He's selling it like you feel that sort of pathos that you felt from across the other two where he's played Magneto. He's an excellent actor, and he's doing so much work with so little I almost would have rather stayed in Poland yes. in his one scene for two hours and 45 minutes than in the whole world for two hours and 45 minutes. How cool would it have been if this entire thing was from his perspective and we only saw characters when they interacted with him? Like, I mean, that would never happen. I understand, you know, commerce and, and this, these things got to sell toys. Um, actually, oh, wait, do they have toys? <laughs> that would be the best thing. It's just, it's like Polish smelt worker Magneto. <laughs> action the action playset. He's just in his overalls, all grimy. Yep. <laughs> the action of the what happens in the film is uh, a big smelting pot starts to fall and he saves a worker uh, from it with his magnetic power. So obviously, because the world is looking for him after the events of Days of Future Past, they just go and tell the police even though he saved their fucking life. Like, oh, fuck, this guy. This guy's really good at his job, and he's he's a part of the community, but he saved that guy because he's a mutant, and then they all kind of come after Different. him. Different! Yeah. <laughs> um, side note, Days of Future Past, Marvel, a corporation uh, who still owned the toy rights for X-Men, purposely did not let them make Days of Future Past toys because they didn't want to interfere with Guardians of the Galaxy toys that they were selling. They didn't want Fox to make more money. I don't know if that sort of goes into this. I haven't seen any toys or any sort of you know product for this film. Uh, I haven't seen anything. Why? Yeah, so maybe it's under the same embargo. I, I don't know. So uh, basically the cops show up at Magneto's house. Uh, his daughter, who you kind of learn a little bit before, who has a mutant, uh, mutant ability to talk to animals. And it's a really sweet scene. What are you going to say, Kelly? You can a- talk. A.K.A. Snow White. Yeah, she had the Snow White mutant ability. You're 100% right. Another reason I wish the entire movie was in Poland <laughs> so that we could just watch her talk to animals the whole time. Um, and the police want him to come with them. Uh, and there's like nine of them with bows and arrows because they're smart enough not to bring metal. And, and rope. And rope. <laughs> Lots of rope. Rawhide. Um, and he agrees to go quietly, but then the daughter who's freaking out can't control her powers and a bunch of 
Eagles? Birds? Sort of birds. Falcons? Yeah. Falcons. Wait, wait, wait. Is it yeah, get closer she, to the mic, Andy. Is it that she can't control her powers? I really thought she was like, I'm not going to let them take you, and I'm sick of these birds after you. Maybe. But, I feel but like they it did, was intentional. They did keep telling, okay, whether or not she can control him or not, that's what he said. He's yes. like, she can't control it. She's not going to stop. It was just analogous to him at Auschwitz, like uh, not just freaking out and doing whatever. She Very was. much so. Only the, the outcome here, sadly, was was uh, different. Instead of the parents dying, the child, well, one of the parents died. The mother and the daughter are struck dead by a rogue arrow. Uh, <laughs> Amazing shot. Yeah, did you like the way he shot it? It just, he was just, he, he was even surprised. Like, whoo! Like he'd never done it before, and he just lucked into basically unleashing a, a super-powered madman. For the record, when the Polish police showed up with no badges, bows and arrows, and rope, I said, well, that's par for the course for the police in Poland, I assumed. <laughs> that's not true. I'm sure I'm sure the people that protected serve in Poland have, are, are, are well... Yeah, in 2016, 1983, oh, it was Soviet this, Poland. Yeah, Soviet Poland. Touche, everyone. Um, Magneto obviously uh, does not take this lying down and kills them all with a pendant uh, running it through each of their necks uh, at bullet speed that has a picture. What? It was a well shot. Oh, it was great. Again, everything here is wonderful. Like, everything with Magneto until he meets Apocalypse is really great. And that, that's a problem for me even more because that says... That says to me in this particular case, I often go on about like, oh, movies that can do one, like a bunch of stuff great and fall flat in one spot bug me more than just a meh movie. In this case, that's not the case. This is just sort of just bland garbage like level and great, basically craftsmen in this case, actors, Michael Fassbender and the, the little girl was great and so was the woman who played his wife. Um, they elevated a, a normally just sort of okay whatever scene to something awesome and the rest of the movie just does not deliver on this right, A scene that should have been laughable. In, in worse hands could have been uh-huh. awful. It was handled very well. And that to me just says like Brian Singers gets out and he's like, okay, and um, just, uh, yeah, just, okay, your, your kids are going to die and then you freak out and you make <laughs> that metal thing happen. Go. And because he's Michael Fassbender, he makes it fucking cool. Uh, so we leave him after he uh, is basically going to go on a revenge spree for humans again. Uh, meanwhile, Mystique is rescuing Nightcrawler from an underground fighting ring. Um, let's talk about J-Lo or J-Lo. <laughs> let's talk about Jenny from the block. Hey, no. I would love to talk about Jennifer, Jennifer Lopez Lawrence. over Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> uh, you want to just talk about Jen- J- <laughs> J-Lo instead? Yeah. No. No, I want to talk about Jennifer Lawrence. So let, was, this, let me bluffing. just preface this. Uh, the views of Jennifer Lawrence that Matthew Marchetti will display in the only podcast about X-Men Apocalypse are not, in fact, the opinions of the only podcast about <laughs> movies. I mean, it's quite simply, I think that she's incredibly overrated. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I think, yeah, 100%. Okay. Yeah. I think, well, and, and to be fair, I think some of this is her and some of it is not typecasting necessarily, but just Hollywood being Hollywood and, and, and you know, just kind of parading her around like they will. So she becomes, particularly in this movie, but even... Even so, in uh, Days of Futures Past, right. she becomes basically like Mystique, a la Katniss Everdeen from The Hunger Games. Where yeah, there's they, a real, there's a real fucking. And again, who knows if that's the the production's fault or her fault? I don't think it's her fault in that case. Uh, I mean, even down to her super suit, they get uh, tailored specifically for her by someone who doesn't even know her. Uh, it looks like Katniss's final battle armor in the last two yes. Hunger Games. It movies. does indeed. Yeah. Uh, I just don't see what the big deal is, and and I liked, I mean, liked, I loved uh, Winter's Bone, whatever that, whenever that came out, it was two thousand. Winter's Bone. Five, yeah, which is hilarious to 
Maybe, yeah. But Book e- of Shadows. Either way, it was a great movie, and it was great for other reasons, but she was very good in it. And I right. think she's just a young actress, and I think people are putting her in a lot of movies. And I just, to me, she's kind of revealed herself as being not all that fabulous, in, in my opinion. Is that everyone's opinion at the table? I've pretty much had it with her. Okay. Well, gee, okay. That's my wife. <laughs> You've had it, Steph? You've had it? I just think she plays this, like stupid feminist that she's not really and also she's cast as the same role over and over and over again and just doesn't seem to care to try anything new anymore fair enough anybody else j-law going once going oh robin's up robin's up (laughs) i mean if you think about just who can play what roles and like today it's she's kind of like this perfect storm to be able to fit these roles and yes she takes these roles that um that I, I feel are just too old for her. But when you come to think of it, you're, when you think about like, well, who else could play that role? It kind of falls on her. And I don't, I don't know if that necessarily is her fault, but she's just very lucky right now. And I feel like in five to 10 years, she's not going to be getting those roles. Um, even Anne Hathaway once said like, um, I, I'm not getting roles anymore. I, I was deemed, um, I'm deemed too old for roles and J-Law is just getting them now and it's not going to happen for her. Maybe or maybe it will. So she's know. not going to become like a Helen Mirren or like a. I was just about to say she like Kate Winslet like so gracefully fell into adult roles and it just doesn't feel like J Lo. Did anywhere. she though? I Did think Kate Winslet fall gracefully into adult I mean, roles? She, she yes. didn't work for a while after Titanic but, on but something. But maybe that, that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to do your big giant role and you blow up so much that you might need to go away for a little while a little and come back as something better. Remember too, she got she got married, had some kids, and I think she took some time off. Like, right, I'm not, like I'm a nice not lady. Kate does. Winslet. I think what she's done with her career at this point is lady. wonderful. But I think that's an excellent point. Is like you have your big mo- you have your big movie, you become a household name. But Jennifer Lawrence has been pretty much mainstream media since what? Since what was the first thing that really put her on the map? Because it wasn't Winter's, Winter's Bone. Bone. Yeah, it, it, it was Winter's Bone. Yes, that was the thing that everyone's like, oh shit, it was she's the Bone the of Winter, the, the Bone of Winter, the Bone of Winter, which was a, it is a good movie. Yeah, it's just weird like. Uh, where does that take place? Like the Ozark Mountains, like this weird film noir with weird white trash rednecks. It's a great movie, and it's and it's made even better because of her performance. Because she's not showy. She wasn't J Law at that point. She was just this actress that no one knew. I yeah. Think. Well, I think that's another big difference with her and Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet didn't have this like crazy public persona where everyone feels like she wants to be people's best friends and she's being crazy on all these late night shows. Like Kate Winslet didn't do any of that. So I feel like it's 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 a weird comparison. Maybe let's talk about this then because Kate Winslet became a star in an age where social media wasn't a thing in order to be a star of that magnitude now you kind of have to do something now I'm not saying the path that Jennifer Lawrence took but you have to have some sort of presence right so is that her is that Jennifer Lawrence's fault or just the fault of the time she was born in I mean, if you look at it, though, like, is it Olivia Pope or whatever? Who's this? Super? Carrie Washington? No, no, no. The super Olivia Pope is definitely Olivia Pope. What's her name? Yeah, it is. Not, not her. Who's the super, that super hot girl that was, like, engaged to a prince or something that you love? Olivia Wilde. Olivia, yeah, like, she's, <laughs> she's good. I'm so off. She's good in everything she's in, but it's she's well not scary. everywhere in the media. True. You yeah. know, so I think and she's, hey. qu- she's quirky and funny and, she's quirky and does and she's weird, weird things. And, and she's kind of cool. She takes and different she's roles. Gorgeous, but she's gorgeous. She's she takes not really a stuck varied up roles. Bitch. And she's Whoa. not all over <laughs> social media. Do you, want, do you want another drink, Marketing? But she's also a little bit older, and I feel like she's not going to. 
talk about how drunk she was at whatever party she was at. Like, she's just going to take a little bit more of the high road. I think I don't have a problem with Jennifer Lawrence because she, A, has proven she can act. She's proven, Winter's Bone, she's proven she can act, right? I even will say in um, Silver Linings Playbook. The same could be said for Adrian Brody with The Pianist, but. (laughs) I mean, touche. But no, 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 in all seriousness, you know? But I will say that um, she, I feel like, has become a victim of her own public persona. And whether or not that is her fault, I cannot place. Uh, gra- granted, everyone is in control of their own destiny, and you, you, you ultimately can. But like, I could see it's easy getting washed up in this nonsense. And since you've become like, you're like, oh, you're the quirky one or whatever. And not to mention, everyone's fucking telling you how much they love the smell of your farts. Like, it's gonna go to a person's head. The thing about this film and her in particular is she's contractually obligated to be here, and that feels like the role she's playing. She's playing Mystique, who ha- who signed a contract to be in three movies, and this is the third one, and please God, can we be done by now? Which I can't blame her because that was the same feeling I was having around an hour and 15 minutes into this movie. So again, I'm agreeing with her. But what the problem I have is, from a work ethic standpoint... Yes, we understand you don't want to be in the blue makeup the entire time. It's a pain in the ass to get in that bodysuit. Yes, we understand this is your third movie and, you know, you don't want to do it. And you don't have to do this movie anymore. I feel like, you know, first class, she didn't have to, but it was kind of another way to get her name out there. But now that you've signed this contract and we know you can act, I take it as an offense to me going to buy a ticket. Not just just seeing you phone it in so fucking hard on a character that probably has more depth than ninety percent of superheroes. So like that to me is a is a greater offense than than her sort of public nonsense she does. Um, I mean, it's not even that offensive. Her public nonsense. It's just like think about the Brat Pack in the eighties. Like they just became famous and got all those roles just for being for doing stuff that was true. way worse. True. So I mean, again, I'm I'm saying, I think I like her as a as a public person, but this movie has made me respect her work ethic far less. Agreed. Uh, Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Um, Marchetti, any final thoughts on J Lab before? <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, You're I so like, fired up before, buddy. Well, because yeah, I could just get into it, and I, I said it what I had to say about her. I don't care for her. I think she's. I don't think she's a poor actress. I think you hit the nail on the head with that last comment about work ethic, and mm-hmm. I think that also. Offends me greatly, and the person you were talking about not that long ago, Michael Fassbender, who has less to work with in this film, I think, Way in some less. respects, uh, he knocks it out of the park and takes a shitty screenplay and makes something out of it, and that's because I think he's like, well, I'm going to be in this. I'm probably contractually obligated to be in it as well, and I'm going to give it everything I can because I care about my work. I look at my resume later and I go, I want to give yeah. a shit about this yeah. and I, th- I don't know that jennifer lawrence really cares necessarily about her resume I, I agree i just i want to say one more thing i think she's in two huge franchises right now and i'm i would gander like that was probably a mistake being in two giant franchises oh 100 percent. and she's just tired you know i just think she's ready to move on so a little bit in her defense i mean but. i get it but you know what i'm tired on thursday too at my job yeah she's also bringing down tens me- of millions of dollars so do your work i work hard for shit money and she works <laughs> yeah. not hard for great yeah. money it's not even and, and I, I just i just feel like it's a choice i don't think she she is unable to work hard or work well it just seemed like she didn't want to do it whatever we all have we all have those days am i right guys 
Yes. I, have, I have wish money. I got paid $10 million on the days I didn't want to go to work. We all have Jennifer Lawrence days. We'll, call, we'll, we'll now refer to them as Jennifer Lawrence days where we just don't feel like it. Well, speaking of people that just don't bring it home in this movie, we're moving on down the plot uh, to Rose Byrne, a.k.a. Moira McTigert. Oh, oh what's, right? what's up, guys? I'm a CIA agent. Okay. Yeah. I'm Moira McTaggart. I don't even have an accent. Nope. Uh, but the most... <laughs> the she most gave she's up supposed on the movie. to. If in the animated show you can have a woman speak with a Scottish accent, the, the actors should be doing the same thing. Oy. Um. She accidentally, in, in her CIA bumblings, she finds a cult that is uh, basically looking and worshipping Apocalypse doesn't put a rug back over a secret entrance into an underground cavern in Cairo and the sun hits the, the chasm or whatever and it supercharges him and it lets uh, Apocalypse out. Right, this is what Dawson was referring to earlier and I think you were, maybe you were thinking about the in the mummy where they use the mirrors. Yeah. And that's very similar. I'm like, why? But they wanted to do that. At least they knew they were trying to do something with the mirrors and this, she's just, she's just stupid. Yeah, I was just doing the, or making a fact that, you know, it's the, the white American woman who... Uh, like starts everything and then she does nothing else. She's nothing. useless for the rest of the Hey, movie. she says she's a CIA agent like five or six she times. She flew the plane at the end. Yep, yep, that's right. And then, and then she crashed the plane, I think, too, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> never and mind, again, never mind. I don't want to dig on Rose Byrne. I like Rose Byrne, too. I, I think she's... A, a, she is good in anything else. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It just It's just very funny that she's, like... She's very funny. Yes, she's it, a very funny lady. Like being like vampy funny. I think yeah, she's like, really good. If, if she wasn't in the movie, would anyone have missed her? Would no. anything different have happened? No. No. Well, she, the whole movie wouldn't have existed because she didn't put a rug back. Yeah, that is so true. The, she is she apocalypse. She could have left. That could have been the only left. thing she did. Because she has a kid that was mentioned once in one photograph and then she just left. But him. instead, she pistol whips the guy who's in charge of putting the fucking rug back. <laughs> I mean, get your shit together, Egypt. A rug, seriously. No, the rug is the only thing that stands between the world him. ending and Charles Xavier losing his hair. That's it. Oh. I, oddly enough, getting back, he'll need a rug now at the end of this movie. Yeah. Because it's all about rugs. Oh. Um. Anyway, what happens next? What happens, I'll give a dollar to anyone who can tell me what happens exactly after this point. Is that when uh, Xavier shows up and then they go to the CIA and... Uh, that happens. And, and, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah a, I think you are right. Yeah, yeah. And that's a good, actually, like one of the, my one of my more the scenes I enjoyed the most because it was funny watching well, Xavier uh, like bumble his through his relationship. Uh, James McAvoy. James McAvoy's <laughs> great. I don't know. He's just he's really really good. Yeah, he's right another now. like he gives a. I'll give you a dollar after the show. Thank you. He gives this kind of fast bender. He has. I think he has the same kind of mentality he does. He's like, I'm gonna. Right. I'm gonna just do the best I can with it. I'm gonna give it my all, and he's just charming and enjoyable to. To watch perform. Yeah, he goes and they have that weird sort of you know the you know mind raping story <laughs> about like how he took Moira's memories away so she wouldn't report the X Men and he could still have his school and then like they have to act like they don't know each other or he doesn't know her blah 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 and then she he brings her back to the X mansion for no reason all the while the little X babies of Scott Summers, Jean Grey, uh, uh, Nightcrawler and ha- who else who else went with them? Jubilee. Jubilee, yeah, who does nothing. Jubilee finally in a film looking exactly like Jubilee and she doesn't even get to make any fireworks. Uh, that made me sad. It was, yeah, that was, I was speaking about that earlier. It was yes. depressing. At least have her do something. Right. Like, so they shoot some fireworks in someone's face at some point. And all the while, uh, I think Marchetti, you put this, you put this the best way. Uh, Apocalypse is now awoken and going around and doing his best Ocean's Eleven impression uh, and trying to get the band back together. Uh, first stop on that whirlwind tour was Storm, who was in Cairo, conveniently. Um, 
and uh, she's about to, she was stealing or something. Yeah, she had her Aladdin moment. She did. She had a super Aladdin moment. And I got to say, um, I want to find the actress's name. Uh, Alexandra Shrip. She spoke to us at the beginning of the movie. That, that might bear mentioning. What was that? She spoke to us at the beginning of the movie. About, remember? Please don't there was a little thing about her. Oh, she said, please don't pirate this movie without saying, please don't pirate this movie. Yes. I have no problem with that. People are assholes. <laughs> but uh, she, I thought, was a great young storm. She was, again, given nothing to do. Yeah. Um, I think that's what it. I think she had the ability to be a great young storm. Was given nothing to do. Right. With it. Well, the second that Apocalypse sort of had his thrall across any of them, he collects. He gotta catch them all, guys. He collects Storm. He collects Angel. Turns him into Arch Archangel with the uh, metal wings, which we can talk. Who did nothing? Metal. He was listening to metal while his wings turned to metal. Very apropos. Do we know the song he was listening to? No. It was it was Metallica's uh, Four Horsemen. Was it really? Ah. Yeah. Oh. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Brian Singer is just a clever motherfucker. Been on the nose on that one. Uh, then, um, uh, who else? Oh, Olivia Munn. Ugh. Right. <laughs> All right, hold on. Olivia Listen. Dunn. Uh, <laughs> what was that? I said Olivia Dunn. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like I'm done. We also just did not forget the plot point of Storm having Mystique. Mystique's poster on the wall. That's right. And why the hell does Mystique have a poster? Okay, so Mystique in this universe, in the cinematic universe of the X-Men, after the events of Days of Future's past, has become kind of like a freedom fighter for mutants. She's the Mockingjay. Yeah, she's Mystique, yes, Ever Mystique she Everdeen. Really Mystique Everdeen. No, that's the that's Days of Future's past. Uh, yeah, no, she is she she volunteers as tribute. She's the she's the one. She's the chosen one. Um no, I can't argue with that. That's sad. That's sad, guys. Yeah, just something that didn't... Well, we can talk about the Mystique thing later or now, but... Do it now! They, they, do it now! Right they, now! They didn't take that anywhere. No. They took that nowhere with her being like the hero of the revolution in this movie. No. She was supposed to be... And even in the trailers, she was promoted as being the one who's going to bring them all together. And sure. she does. She kind of gets the kids to do their thing at the end. She talks well, she, to them. She's and, been trafficking mutants out to like save them from getting out of like fighting and she, pits and shit. She sees like you know a bit of her younger self, even though she's not much older than them, in them. And it, it kind of works. Sure. But then it gets to the finale, and she does nothing. She, does, she makes like one grandstand play against Apocalypse, gets choked out. And then, who saves the day? Well, a few people, but we can talk about that later. But it, yeah. she ends up not being the one to, to do it in the end. And then it's just kind of, I don't know. I feel like they, they if they were going to do the Katniss thing, they should have just went all for it. And they yeah, really. I, I feel like it's, again, this is, you know, I, we were t complaining about Jennifer Lawrence's performance in this movie. But she's given nothing to do but speeches. Like, <laughs> she's just giving speeches about how she doesn't want to be the hero. She doesn't want to be the hero. Fine, I'll try to be the hero. I fail at being the hero. And then you're not students anymore. For the record, I didn't. I wasn't complaining about her performance in this movie. I was just complaining about her performance in life. Oh, oh wow. If I was like her supervisor, she would have a lot of red pen on her thing, her evaluation wow. at this point. Okay. Um. <laughs> All right. Can we talk about Olivia Munn's costume? Sure. <laughs> Let's talk about Olivia Munn's costume. They now, Olivia Munn's buns. So the theme, Let's get all the jokes out of the way about Olivia Munn's costume. So the themes for these four horsemen, I felt, was um, called College Sexy or College Halloween. Yeah, Halloween, yeah, that's great. <laughs> it was just like Apocalypse came back to life after, what, millions, hundreds of thousands of years and was like, you know what we need? Sexy horsemen. Let's give them all five And then he cutouts. builds it. You see him building it onto, I think, Angel's shoulder yeah. at one point. He's just caressing his... his oh. 
Why was he like tattooing Angel's face? He, he like tattooed his face with because Archangel in the cartoon and the action figure in the comics has marks on his face. So they were just like, we're gonna make him look more like the comic book. Yep, that was probably. He saw an interview with Mike Tyson. Problems. Like, I want that. Yeah. Uh, fun fact about Olivia Munn's, aka Psylocke's, uh, costume. Sword hands. Oh yes, they, my friends have nicknamed her Sword hands. Sword hands. Um, and what did we call Nightcrawler? Bat Boy, I believe. Like from, yeah. from the National Enquirer? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bat Boy found I an I think that's somewhere. unwarranted, but, you know, whatever. Um, Olivia Munn's character... This is... This is the thing. Adolescent boy me is like, okay, yeehaw. But the thing about it is... <laughs> adolescent boy... Adolescent boy you sounds just very... Like, I would, I was like all... I was adolescent boy me was in that theater when she first came out in that, whatever the hell she was wearing. But the thing is, about what she's wearing, this is what I'm saying. It's the only costume in all of the X-Men films that is almost entirely accurate to her comic yep. book persona. Yep. That's how Psylocke looks in the comic book, where everyone else is muted out in the either the suits that Apocalypse gives them or black leather randomness. You mean Pam Anderson bathing suit with a cape? It was like it's like a bathing suit, but then it has like the the leg things and whatever the fuck her top. I don't even I don't even know, but it, it is what her costume looks like. But I think the really unfortunate thing is there is nothing else to evaluate her on. She does nothing else in the movie. She has like almost no lines. So she has the least amount of speaking lines out of any major character. Right, in that which movie. makes me think a lot of her stuff got cut out for some reason. So then you just have to have an opinion about the costume, which is easy to have an opinion about. Sure. And there's that one cool scene where she cuts the car in half. But then like, what I don't understand about her Saw powers it in the trailer though, so yeah. it doesn't. Is so in the in the climax of this movie, which we'll get it to in a little bit. Uh, she, you know, she she's Psylocke. She fights with one real katana and one sort of plasma katana. She has. I don't. Do you know her actual power set? It's like psionic wave, hard light construction. Yeah. Bullshit. She uses a whip too, which just does she do it, that in the it, comic? No, I've never. I don't remember seeing the. Whip well, this at is all, my yeah. thing. She eventually fights Beast, and she turns her blade into a whip because they realize probably in a, in a fight scene that's longer than a minute, it, Beast can't fight someone with a plasma sword. <laughs> Uh, so she makes this weird sort of light whip, which again, if it's made out of the same shit her plasma blade is, wouldn't that just, it wraps around his neck at one point, I'm like, and she whips him into a wall, I'm like, his head would just come yes, clean off. Cut the car. That, and that was a problem I had, that power's only sort of serving the script, and that kind of happened a lot through the plot, especially with Quicksilver, who Quicksilver was sort of great like he was in... I think he, he acted really well in it. In Days of Future's Past. The only character with some levity, like some true... Sort of on purpose levity. I feel like Professor X had some moments with Myra, Moira, but um, the more I'm talking about this, the more they just, you know, Amy, you and I were talking about sort of females and superhero movies in the car. They, they, I feel like we've just been shitting on the ladies and yes, and but in this movie in particular. But I'm trying to think of like, I'm trying to th like. I think the girl who played Storm did great, but was given not enough to do. Jennifer Lawrence didn't want to be there. Uh, Olivia Munn, I feel like, could have pulled off a be better... Actually, I don't know what it could have been because they didn't give her fuck all to do. And then the only other main female character... I'm not counting Moira because fuck that. That was just dumb as shit. And then the other, the last character is Jean Grey, played by Sansa Stark herself. Sophie, Sophie, Sophie Turner. Turner. Yeah. Like, let's talk about her real quick. What What's everyone's so, thoughts on that? When you were saying before... No! When you were saying before you wanted the whole movie to be in Poland or at least just revolve around like from Magneto's point of view and all the different character interactions, that's what I thought after the movie about the Jean Grey character. And I understand okay. that couldn't happen, but... Why not? 
I mean, the same reason why I couldn't for yes, Magneto. And I Sophie Turner yes. is not big enough yet to capitalize the movie around or whatever. But if you saw that whole movie from her perspective, like she had a really interesting arc. She was well developed. She was the alpha in a lot of situations, which you don't see with like a brand new character, especially a female. Right. Well, the fun, the weird thing about that is, is oh, she's a brand new actress playing the character, yes, being reintroduced right. into whatever side bullshit timeline. I don't even know how this fucking thing works anymore because the X Men, like first class, was supposed to like reboot it and not be about the old class and like whatever or the old or cinematic class. And then they're like Days of Futures Past is pretty cool. And then they mixed them, and now you're like. Well, I don't know what the fuck is real because it doesn't make sense anymore. Uh, she's the first Jean Grey on film. Wh- who played her first, Marchetti? D- uh, Famke Johnson. And I like Famke Johnson, but I don't think her Jean Grey was particularly great. I think it was fine and it was serviceable. She I was, think she wasn't Jean great. She was <laughs> zing. Uh, Dawson, he just got your dollar. I only have one dollar, and now I have to give it to Marchetti for that pun. We can you can get it back if you do. Yeah, if you back. think of some puns, <clears throat> but the. She was, uh, Sophie Turner was great in this movie. I think she's my sort of definitive Jean Grey. And I had real trepidations about seeing her in this role because we haven't really seen her in anything other than Game of Thrones. And I do think she's a a good actress there. Um, And again, I feel like it would have been interesting to see it from her perspective because if you think about it, like it could be. She's brought to this school, and then more students come, and then she makes friends, and then, oh, fuck, someone invades and kidnaps the professor from the basement, and then it's her wacky adventure. It kind of turns into that for half the movie to get him back. That'd be like a Nickelodeon version of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., like a bunch of preteens living their life. I, sexy I, preteens. Yeah, sexy, sexy preteens. I can't um, I can't argue with the, I, I would like to see the Nickelodeon version of that. I feel like... You know, Xavier's Degrassi High. Exactly. <laughs> It's the battle for the dollar. Um, I think a lot of this comes down to the, sim- to the same point, though. There were a lot of individual moments that, had they been developed correctly, could have made a good movie. But none of them were given enough time to develop correctly. So all together was a hot m- disaster mess. Like, Magneto's whole storyline could be really great. Sansa Stark's storyline could have been really great. And, I'll, you know, like, Professor X is always good. But together, it just didn't work as a script well, and as a direction. Yeah, it couldn't balance all the plates. Like, they just kept crashing down and, like, people kept picking up the pieces and being like, look, it's still a plate. And you're like, I'm not eating off that. Uh, I like that. I don't know. You like that analogy? I don't know if it makes sense, but I really like I, it. Hey, yeah. I, half of my analogies are you really s- fun to hear, but if you think about conviction. them for more than five seconds, they just crumble. Like, everything that like Apocalypse plates. touched. What? Mm. Like the plates. Like the plates. <laughs> see? There you go. Full circle once again. Uh, so let's see what else happens here in this uh, wonderful film. Apocalypse steals the professor and then Havoc accidentally kills himself blowing up the mansion, uh, which is supposed to be a big and powerful moment. And it almost is until they instantly cut to Quicksilver running to the X mansion, uh, to uh, supposedly find Magneto. He just decided after seeing him on the news from the seventies. <laughs> right. Yeah, That's the, the one t- I 10 year anniversary. They're still showing the same news clip of when Mag- that w- Days of Future's Blast took place in the 70s, right? I'm not yeah. crazy. Yeah. 10 years later. 73. This is 10 years later, this movie. Yeah. Correct. Is it really? That's, that's like 10 year anniversary. Well, it was a 10th year anniversary. Oh, that's why it was on the screen. That's why I said 10th year anniversary. But no news crew wanted to fly to Poland to film new footage, so the TV just had to put the 70s back and it's, on. And it's, it, the, picture, Magneto, <laughs> the, the picture that they show every time is Magneto with his hand up making like a little like pinchy thing. Like a crushing your head thing with your fingers. And Morgetti keeps going every time, Matt, you saw it on the screen, you're like... This close. <laughs> this close. Almost had it. <laughs> it was um, almost a good move. So Quicksilver decides to go find his, his dad finally. 
and runs up. And, but like instantly at the point, like this huge moment happens. And I understand sort of why they had to do it this quick. Because, but they int- what song they did play during? Sweet Dreams Sweet by the Eurythmics. Sweet Dreams are made of these. Yeah, that one. Uh, he runs to that song, basically mimicking his scene in Days of Futures Past with Everyone Loved. And I was just like, well, this is cool looking, but it's also just sort of fan service. And also, side note... He's the fucking, like, his powers just break the whole damn movie in a weird way. And I'm glad that during the last scene, again, spoiler, 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 uh, he starts fighting Apocalypse and doing it very cleverly, like, just sort of running too fast for him to handle. But then the second Apocalypse realizes what's going on, he's like, oh, I'll bend his knee the other way. And then he can't do shit. I think he, like, traps him in the mud, and then he just, like... He fucking stomps his knee. He stomps his knee at a 90-degree angle, the way it's not supposed to go. The way the fist fights happen, but... Yeah. Uh, but in this scene, he saves all of the ex-babies uh, and puts them all on the lawn while the house blows up. It was beautiful. I mean, it's a it's a it's a it's a CGI's uh, you know demo real wet nightmare or wet wet nightmare wet dream. Wait, they're so close for me. It's weird. Wet nightmare guys. sounds uh, a wet nightmare. So much better. It's a wet, wet nightmare. <laughs> This whole movie's a wet nightmare. Um, no, it's not. That's, That's the, the name of the, the band Apocalypse singers? was forming, by the way. What was it? That was the name of the band. The metal band. I'm trying to think of the name of the metal band he was forming when he did that. That's that wet, wet nightmare. nightmare. I like it. No, no. <laughs> wet nightmare. Uh, star- I'm not even going to get into it. The uh, I, I feel like I want to keep making like zingers and attacking this movie, but I also don't care enough to do it. Like It did enough right and it did enough wrong where I'm just like... Mah. Anyway, uh, then what you think should happen is, oh, they have to go find the professor because Apocalypse and uh, his Ocean's Eleven went and stole him. Uh, but instead, what happens is Weapon X comes down with young fucking Striker. What's his name? General Striker, Agent Striker, Corporal Striker, Colonel Striker. Colonel. Colonel. Um, Colonel. Colonel Striker. Uh, was major, now Colonel. Oh, thank Poland. you. Poland. Poland. Uh, what was Psylocke's <laughs> name? What'd you call her? Sword hands. Sword hands. Okay. I'm going to try to speed this along. What should have happened here is they go to wherever the fuck Apocalypse was and bitch slap the hell out of him until the end of the movie. You know, psychic fist fights, which we'll talk about last. But instead, the the um, Weapon X program with Colonel Stryker come and stake, take away certain members of the X-Men after they, like, psychic bombed them down or whatever. And then the X-Babies who uh, weren't valuable enough, Jean Grey, Scott Summers, and Nightcrawler, like, stow away on their ship and go back to uh, the lake uh, where the Weapon X program happens from X2, where Wolverine is being held. Now, this whole fucking thing was a 20-minute aside so we could see Hugh Jackman somewhere in the goddamn 80s. And while I loved that scene... Like, I I thought it was really, really, really great. And it's always fun to see... Hugh Jackman let loose as Wolverine. But aside from fan service, this is the kind of thing that if it wasn't Hugh Jackman would have hit the cutting room floor so fucking fast. Like in the script phase. Uh, did everyone else have sort of, I mean, yay or nay, did, if we could, who wanted to see this in this movie? I mean, I always want to see Wolverine, but only if it's Hugh Jackman, exactly what you said. Right. If it was anybody else, I would not have cared So it wasn't that. a deal breaker for you. No, but it, it did nothing to advance the plot at right, all. Right, of course. I actually thought the one part of it that I thought was important was Jean Grey's interaction with Wolverine because it sets up like her touching his face, sets up at the end her touching Professor X's face 
and it also sets up their relationship that you later know, on or before later my problem yeah. with it is that it's what sets up their relationship but it it bums me out because there's this super young girl but Hugh Jackman has gotten older over the course of <laughs> well <filming> yeah <laughs> and it's supposed to be like they have this powerful cool love situation but it creeps me out in the vein of this movie because she she's just, so young she just that's like reads point. his mind so their love isn't actually based in love it's based on like just her reading his mind well that's the problem I have a little, with, with, it's a little creepy with Professor X and Margaret's sort of relationship anytime you bring mind manipulation into a love story it gets fucking weird um i like to call this scene sansa gets her dire wolf back yeah yeah i mean that's nice oh marchetti so at the end of the scene after there's a lot of face touching what happens with wolverine marchetti well he's so there's he has no dialogue which which we, we discussed which a little is bit fine about. he's in the weapon x which suit is, which is cool to so see he's kind of like he's that's like out of his mind books. the weapon x thing looks great he just he goes to town on all these army guys. And yep. it's, it's awesome. And it it also highlights another problem I have, but I'll get to that in the end. But at the end, after the, the mind melding and all the love starts to happen, which, which worked very well, unless you overanalyze it, he just opens this door out into this frozen tundra and he just runs away like this like baby <laughs> child who doesn't know it. And that's it. And I think all of us, we all just started laughing. And it wasn't like a chuckle. We laughed like... Enough to annoy people laugh. in the theater because it was just so utterly ridiculous. It was like, really dumb, and it just didn't it didn't work. And it, that, like, this movie's filled with moments like that, like, like undercutting itself, like setting up something yes. awesome and then like never sticking the land. This movie doesn't stick one landing. Nope. I think I recall the moment when uh, when Havoc destroys the Blackbird and then Beast like poses before the explosion, like he puts his hands up, and I remember Robin was laughing, hysteric, and it was so bad. Like you can tell they just needed to cut it. Like half a second beforehand, and just show him like like you know putting his, shielding himself, whatever. But it held too long, and it was just ridiculous looking. Yeah. And it was just like that, very similar kind of scenario. However, the Wolverine scene was I I would have been fine if it just was the rest of the movie it was him just murdering army guys because <laughs> the, the biggest issue for me with the movie, other than Jennifer Lawrence and just well you know biggest issue with me even if the movie was boring or didn't have a it had a lot of plot holes or whatever is that. Anytime there was an action sequence, it was fairly boring. Aside from... Very maybe, boring. The Quicksilver sequence was great. However, we had seen it before. Yep. The Wolverine sequence was... was like They actually put some time into choreography. And this sure. is where Brian Smurz. Brian Smurz, action choreographer Brian Smurz. Hey, if you put any sort of action sequence in a dark hallway or sub-basement, he fucking kills it's, it. It's good. He can deal with Hollywood... Or not Hollywood. What was I trying to say? He can deal with hallway action, action scenes, scenes very well. I, I just feel like it highlighted... With a little TLC in a uh, in a sequence like that, will do in terms of just let's throw a lot of special effects this way and that way, sure. and it, it gets numbing. And I just I like I just want to watch Wolverine tear people apart, and that's what he got to do for five minutes or so. Yeah, I think the uh, the Quicksilver scene is a good uh, like microcosm of the problem as a whole. It's like people like this, so we'll do this. Uh, like okay, how long did it last last time? Three minutes. Let's make this one last seven minutes. So it's yeah, like, people like it. Let's do it a lot past the point of where it's fun anymore. And that's kind of like a lot of the problems with the movie where it's like, somebody like this once, let's do that a bunch. Yeah. I mean, well, that's a problem with Hollywood in general. But you're right. It's like a microcosm, just sort of things throwing it in your face. Like, oh, you want this? How about more of this? <laughs> um, so they they rescue the X-Men and then they know where Professor X is because the apocalypse makes him on like a mountainside tell the world that the apocalypse is coming. And it's the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. There's all this religious yeah. stuff going on. Oh. It's actually one of the more interesting aspects of the movies if you analyze it through like biblical. Well, what do you mean? Just the fact that he's giving a sermon off he's of like the He's like preaching literally on a mount. It's Egypt. I mean, it's just it's it's on the nose, but at least it's that's fitting with the character and. 
But yep. then this sort of this sort of falls into the major problem that do, that we've sort of we've encompassed is like there's all these other interesting moments that happen that we watch them happen and then the camera's like nah, we're done here let's move on yeah. to like garbage to to the same generic cities getting destroyed by apocalypse is sort of un not they don't really know what power yeah. he has because he has all the powers like he can just and but then again that was also Magneto like ripping up the earth or some shit to like destroy cities so we saw <laughs> just, a couple he different can move tectonic plates yeah. now. Yeah, well, because Apocalypse super juiced him after giving Apocalypse him some- just uses. It looks like he's using the nano machines that they used in the first GI Joe movie. Basically, it just looks like that same special effect. Yeah, it's just no, so- it's, it's this particle sort of nonsense, yeah. and we see like three major cities and a port like go down. Oh, we didn't even talk about the most pointless thing. The first time that Professor X is in Cerebro looking for uh, Magneto, and then Apocalypse oh. is with him, and he senses him, and Apocalypse takes over Cerebro, but I thought he didn't have mental powers. So how the fuck is Apocalypse taking over Cerebro? And then he uses Cerebro, he like, before him and Charles Xavier like mind meld, he gets into Charles's head, so then he convinces the entire planet to launch nukes. and But not at anything. They launch the nukes into the sky to, to, to what? what? To what end did that matter? Apocalypse doesn't like machines and technology. He wants to rip the world apart himself. That's why he did it. It just wasn't well explained. He wants- I mean, that makes sense. If he's ripping the world up from the tectonic plates, we probably should get rid of all the nuclear devices. Yeah. Too bad he didn't have the ability to jettison all nuclear reactors and experimental power sources, but fuck that noise. We'll just take the rockets into space. <laughs> Some men just want to watch the world burn. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Michael Caine. Can we, can we talk about the, just the Ameri- every time they cut to the American oh government? Oh, my God. Who's firing those missiles? The, the men. men. The men are. <laughs> it's so- Every time you see the government say something, it's for a single line of poorly written exposition. They think we'll move the plot forward, but breaks the pacing so hard that everyone in the theater laughs. Thank God our prayers were answered, Mr. President. Thank you, Mr. President. Like, what the fuck? It seems like Magneto helped stop this. Like, God damn it. Huh. So let's talk about the big ending. Basically, Magneto's ripping up the world. Mystique and Quicksilver try to talk him down, and Quicksilver doesn't tell him that he's his father after all, which is a big fucking stupid bullshit. Uh, the, the big fight at the end is the pure reason why I think Captain America's Civil War works. They had a big fun fight sequence at the two-thirds point through the movie, and then they kept the actual sort of feeling, the, the real sort of emotional mass for the end with a smaller sequence with two, three characters fighting in an abandoned place. And that had more weight than an entire city being ripped apart and nine characters basically in a fucking royal rumble uh, going at it outside of Apocalypse's brand new fucking pyramid. Um, with statues. Yeah. With yeah, statues. statues. Gotta have statues. Giant statue of himself. Yeah. I mean, listen, if I had the power, we'd be sitting in a room full of statues of me. I believe there were three statues of him in there when it panned what, around. Well, it was okay. Angel. He had, he had statues of everybody. Yeah. yeah, it was the other Did person. you notice that the, the Apocalypse statue was, angel. he was yeah. kind of sitting casual though. He had one leg out a little bit, one leg in. Like he's, he's chilling? Like the, you know, world's best boss kind of guy. Like he's like, you're like, I'd work for him. I'd work for him. <laughs> he seems cool. You know, I was on the fence and then, then I saw this statue in his office and I was like, this is a guy I could have a beer with. Um, so they start to do this transfer of power. So uh, basically what Apocalypse has been doing throughout the centuries is taking powerful mutants and, uh, and basically moving his consciousness into the other body to steal their powers. He's going to do that with Charles Xavier, a.k.a. This is why he's bald. Uh, his hair starts falling out as the process happens because reasons. Uh, and then 
Uh, everyone's fighting outside, and then how does it stop? What happens? Um, Mystique tries to trick him, and it doesn't work. He beats off Quicksilver. Not like that. Don't get gross. Uh, and then uh, what happens? Nightcrawler steals Xavier. Nightcrawler steals Xavier and puts him back on the jet. There's a fight in the sky. Kelly? Magneto sees Mystique being held up by... That's what snaps him out of the garbage. Magneto comes and Apocalypse is like, You've betrayed me! In like 16 different reverberating voices. He's like, I betrayed them. And then I'm talking like Ian McKellen all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) Run! Um... Fly, you fool. And then Sophie Turner opens up her power. So let's talk about the Phoenix moment, because we're almost through, and we got to wrap this up in a minute. The, so everyone knows here, maybe you don't, but people that have sort of followed the X-Men and comic books, that Jean Grey is either the Dark Phoenix, or she's insane enough to think the Dark Phoenix is a thing that she is. Um, we, see the, we see the fucking Phoenix Force in this, and it's the thing that turns the tide against Apocalypse. So... We've seen the Phoenix Saga in the worst of these uh, X-Men movies in X3 when they try to combine that with the No More Mutants plotline to fucking laughable effect. And uh, the Phoenix Force has always been a very interesting sort of uh, thing in the comics for me. They've done a lot of fun stuff with it that sort of does... It's the right amount of, like, power and weirdness and you're not sure where it comes from. Like, I love the fact you're not sure if it's an actual extraterrestrial entity that's possessed this psychic girl or the psychic girl is so powerful she's insane and invented this sort of being in her brain. Anyway, you sort of see the birth of that here, and I, I liked it. I, 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 is it like, is she too young to be the phoenix in this movie, though? Like, is that time appropriate? Yes and no. I mean, the, the, she's always sort of had bursts of power, and like I like how it wasn't overly overt. Like, in the, the alternate timeline, I think it's okay. Is it? This, is like, that what happens? 80s time. I think it's fine. Like, yeah. but you, and you see it's in sort of in the shape of a bird. But like, it's I like the fact that like you know what I loved, and I was half expecting this fucking movie to do this. Someone or Apocalypse being like the Phoenix Force, or like someone just fucking announcing it, but no one does, and it's just oh fuck, she's a pyrokinetic and she's fucking shit up. Like, all right, I, I'll take it. She just hit her ultimate in Marvel versus Capcom three, and now she went from way foo to just totally wrecking the entire board. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and then the end happens, and then Professor X gives Moira's memories back, and then they like fall in love, kind of, but don't. And, and then he unmind rapes her. He unmind rapes her. If if only the everyone in the world could be unmind raped. Uh, and then what else? What else? What else happens? Magneto and Professor X make up. Uh, yeah, make out. Yep. Make make out. Yep. <laughs> no, they make up. There again, it's that same scene we've seen nine times where they like have a little bit. Of, it's the same dialogue from the first movie. Goodbye, old friend. Goodbye, old they friend. They rebuilt the school. Oh. Oh yeah, yeah. The end. So the X mansion is totally destroyed by uh, when Havoc kills himself so unheroically. Um, and the X mansion. They show a scene as a hand wave of Magneto and uh, Sansa looking at each other uh, and like knowingly like, yes, we're doing good. And like Magneto's moving metal to build a structure, and she's like moving planks with her mind and the, I think you and me looked at each other Marchetti were like that's not up to code like that's not gonna my, my thought process was like who's doing the plumbing who's checking well, on this yeah and I, you know what that could have been hand waved away from me if Beast was standing there with blueprints being like uh, um, yeah sure the bathroom's there like oh by the way I do want to say uh, we've been talking about good performances and whatnot the dude who plays Beast uh, Nicholas Holt Holt, Holt. 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 Um, I love him he's uh, he's a phenomenal actor and he really stuck out for me in Mad Max but also in all the stuff he's been in Warm Bodies uh, he did the best he could in this movie with what he was given yes. he's good yes and he's been great in honestly all of them um yeah, he's aw shucks likable. Yeah. Like um, so they build the thing back up and then gay and hooray apocalypse is, is dead. How did he die? He just melted away from the Phoenix yeah, she, Force? She stripped his everything 
Off. And he was okay. like real happy about it. Like, Storm helped out at some point. She Storm, yeah. Storm, Storm was the most underutilized person in the fight because she like hides for half of it. Mm-hmm. Because she's upset because um, Mystique's there and she yeah, doesn't know who the person hero. she had that small poster in her hovel is doing there. That's right. And she's like, oh, maybe Mystique is with the good guys. I don't know. This is the thing. Every point, plot point in this movie that is not part of a tangent makes sense. And like that is a moment where played well or given the right time or direction could play out. But the again, I go back to my plates analogy. They're just crashing on the floor and, and they're like, is this still a plate? And right. you're like, no. And it also seemed ripe with the opportunity to like have an interaction between those two characters. And there isn't. It's like you're just nope. left. Did like, they oh, ever oh. interact in the movie? Who? Storm and Mystique? No, they do not. Right. Like at Until the, the very end in the goddamn danger room. I'm like, oh, great, yeah. robots, and now they're going to fucking fight the robots because now they're in their fucking Avengers lineup. I did have one other observation. I don't know if anybody else noticed, but you know the pattern on the gold cap of the pyramid that, like, when the light shines on yeah. it, it, like, goes... That same pattern was in Magneto's helmet, like, on, like, the was detail the of the set. That's cool. Yeah, it was on the side of, like, the plastic part that went over his head. It's the same sort of shit. It's the same. It's the same. It's the same type of design. Look, I will. Whether or not you liked Apocalypse's design, the or the the style of the design in this movie, the intricate work that went into all of the costumes. I feel like the costuming. If you're gonna go this direction, they they really made it like happen and come yeah, together. Like I, the, the horseman felt like a unit, making like a like practical suit for him rather yeah. than like Ultron or doing something like where it could have just been Oscar Isaac's voice yep which m- might have looked better but I feel like if you're an X-Men fan and you know it, like you, you wouldn't even need to know you could just you can watch that movie and have no idea it's Apocalypse and you would know who it was pretty quickly yeah I feel like so they, in that sense they did their job sure it just I think the impression is fine I just think the details don't work yeah all right, so that's basically X-Men uh, Apocalypse. Guys, I want to go around the table, and this is basically, you can give like a one-sentence sort of final thought, and then uh, just say if you think people should spend their money uh, and go see this movie, or how you think they should see it, or should they even bother seeing it all? We'll start with Marchetti. I didn't like it. I didn't hate it. Uh, I would say wait to watch it at home and watch it in sequence with First Class and Days of the Future Past. Like, watch it in a row. Good deal. Boring pass. Okay, good deal. Uh, overall, just eh. I probably would watch it on TV, but I wouldn't buy it. Sure. If you've somehow never seen a superhero movie, then you <laughs> might not mind it. Otherwise, I would wait for the television rerun. This one's metal! Yeah, just, just pick it up at Blockbuster. <laughs> nice, Dawson. I would see it on a discount night for the effects on the big screen. And also, let's all hope that Sophie Turner follows Kate Winslet's example and not Jennifer Lawrence's well, example. Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh-huh. And I would honestly say... I only go see this in the theater out of franchise obligation and that's a fucking awful thing to say like look Fox knows they have my money now granted we went to a matinee and it cost six dollars a ticket so fuck you Fox but it's just like it, I can't in good conscience tell you like this is a great time at the movies go see it because it's not it's a time at the movies you'll spend time there <laughs> Uh, and at the at the end of the day, it's a perfect example of what you know this superhero fatigue thing that Shahir kind of talks about, where it's coming from. It's it's cool on occasion, but it's nothing we haven't seen before. And it's kind of the I, I've been calling it the stereo the cinematic equivalent of where stereotypes come from. Like this is this is the example that everyone will point to and be like, superhero movies are dumb. And you're like, but that's not all. Hashtag not all superhero movies. Like, come on. Um, yeah. So. That's sort of it. I guess the, 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 the vote is don't go see it. And that makes me sad. 
just wait to one of the 110 degrees in summer days and get, when catch you, a matinee. When you really need air conditioning. Um, guys, thank you so much for, for being here with me. Is there anything anyone wants to plug? Again, we'll go around the room. Or where can people find you on the internet if they want to agree or disagree with you, Marchetti? Oh, this is nice. Uh, this, yeah, well, oh, you nice. want to talk about you for a minute? Now I'm really How you nervous. doing? You're back? Uh, so... Yeah. Well, you can find me. I'm not going to talk about it. I, I, I started writing some reviews on um, a website of our friend Steve's. I don't know if he's been on this. Yes, he has. Uh, we, so, uh, he's on Same Night Movie Review with oh, yes. Steve uh, Stephen Buja, who now has a great podcast called Oscar Watch. I don't yeah. know what they talk about uh, other than they say it's Oscar films, but it's impossible because we're the only podcast. You should probably check it out <laughs> and let me know what it's about. You can find that on iTunes as well. So I, I wrote some reviews for that site, and then it became just too much to write these lengthy reviews, so I started transferring my reviews to quicker reviews on Instagram so you can follow me at uh, movie underscore Matt Tanay with two T's. Nice. Yeah, th- I really like those too because uh, they're they're reminiscent of what Steve and I used to do for same night on Instagram. We used to do 15 second movie reviews yeah, that took quick, way yeah. too long. They were neat, but like didn't get enough across and not enough people saw them. But your the writing on your stuff is phenomenal and I really enjoy reading them Thanks, uh, when, when you come out. I so. try to write like horror movies mo- mainly, but also s- newer movies and also Scooby-Doo films. You hit, every, you hit a <laughs> lot of genres on there and I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, Robin, you can find her at the dog park. <laughs> well, you can always see me at the dog park, but you can also see me on Instagram, Robin L. Foster, R-O-B-I-N-L-F-O-S-T-E-R and Twitter, Foster child underscore 32. There you go. <laughs> Kelly, where are you? Uh, I'm on Facebook. I really have nothing to plug. Nothing? <laughs> I really don't. Make something up. Uh, the Truman Show on Instagram. It's all about my dog. Okay, good. There we go. It's a hashtag, not a Hashtag handle. Truman Show. All right, Steph. You can find me on Instagram at sandpaperglue. I write a DIY and home improvement blog at sandpaperandglue.com, which has nothing to do with movies at all, but you can watch me paint furniture and stuff. All right. And you can see pictures of me in states of undress putting, a, <laughs> putting together a home theater setup in our basement, right? No, yeah. it's an excellent, It's an excellent. what would you call it, a crafting a home improvement Yeah, I say DIY and home improvement because I use power tools like real women. There we go. Rock and roll. Dawson. Yeah, I, I don't do anything interesting. Yeah, we don't use the internet. And Amy, okay, you guys are just going to be mysteries to them. Use the internet all the damn time. But if you want our opinion, you have to talk to us in person. So hunt them down. That's right. Find them. Uh, yeah, and for me, you can find me at MatthewKroll.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Skeletor, the number four P-R-E-Z, or on uh, Twitter at Emperor M-S-K. Uh, guys, this has been the only podcast about X-Men Apocalypse, and... Uh, you know, it's something something that happened. I just want to say this last. It was a line from Magneto after his family got killed. And it said, he was screaming to the sky. And he says, is this what you want from me? Is this who I am? Is this who I am? That's the exact question I have for Brian Singer when he showed me the movie we watched today. Do you want me to be like this? Is this how you really want me to be? Anyway, fatality. Fatality. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week. Say bye, everyone. Bye, Bye, everyone.